afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Get in the Herd. Uh, today is Wednesday. Um, it is not Cinco de Mayo. It is, what do you say, Seis de Mayo? May 6th. <laughs> May 6th. May 6th. Welcome. Um, today, uh, again, I'm your host, Nathan Mitchell, and I am the Community Outreach and Advocacy Coordinator with the McShin Recovery Resource <laughs> Foundation. Welcome to the show. I've got two very, very, very very special guest today. And I say that because uh, May is an important month for me, an important month for my recovery. It is mental health awareness month. And I say that, I'm going to adjust this. I can barely hear over here. Yeah, see, there we go. Um, I say that because uh, mental health and taking care of my mental health is an important part of my recovery. And it's an important part of so many people I love and care about around me. And what I have today are two professionals in the mental health field. Excuse me. Uh, my friend over here, <laughs> Alden G, Ms. Alden Gregory, and the lovely and incomparable, and I, I, <laughs> Barbara, Barbara, I told you, your last name is going to escape Mardigan. me. Mardigan, Mar right. Mardigan, yes. Um, I really appreciate the both of you coming today, and I'd like to welcome Barbara and, and ask you to say who you are, what you do, why you're here, and maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, well, I am a person in long-term recovery. Um, November 15th, 1998 is the big day. And um, <clears throat> uh, I've worked in the mental health field for 22 years. I've been licensed as a professional counselor since 2004, which seems like a really long time ago. And um, I do CrossFit. Wow. And I go to meetings. Yeah, wow. I do that. Um, and uh, like I said, I, I just, whatever I can do to give back to the mental health community, and the recovering community, whatever I can do to help, you know, it's about service work and giving back and really destigmatizing um, addiction and mental health issues because, um, you know, that there are no uh, garden variety drunks anymore. Yeah. I don't think there were back when Bill <laughs> W wrote it. They just didn't know what to call it. So <laughs> I'm just here to do that. I currently right now work as the deputy clinical director for Virginia Judges and Lawyers Assistance Program. And we provide uh, mental health and addiction support to those in the legal field, um, including law students. And that can range from doing an intervention to get somebody into treatment to just someone calling us saying, my therapist retired and I need another therapist in Fairfax. Excellent. Yeah. And we can provide all of that. So it's a small staff of five. It was a staff of two um, and it grew a lot. So this is my first time not working in the field in terms of providing therapy. Okay. Yeah. Well, and and uh, Alden, welcome to the show. Um, I have been. I, I think the word I, I think I'm looking for the word blessed in this particular instance. I've been blessed to know Alden since I got here, February. No, no, no. Since I got here, uh, May May first of 2018, when I came to the McShin Foundation, um, Alden has was a was a uh, an employee here at that time. And that's how I became friends with Alden. So welcome Alden. I'm so grateful to have you here, here and to uh, see how you've grown. So if you would like to introduce yourself and maybe tell us Thanks. why the heck you're here. Um, my name is Alden Gregory. Uh, like Nathan said, I did work here for four and a half years um, as the special projects coordinator and then director of development. Um, <coughs> Finished up grads, started and finished grad school while I worked here. I graduated from VCU's Rehabilitation and Mental Health. Same program. Yeah, master's program in last year. And then started residency for my licensure for to be an LPC licensed professional counselor um, 
September, October, mm -hmm. something about that. Barbara is my supervisor for that. So we um, meet once a week to kind of go over my caseload, um, talk about stuff that's going on with my clients. She gives me suggestions and feedback and helps me process stuff that's going on. Um, she says she hasn't, this is the first time she hasn't done like therapy in a long time, but sometimes I, <laughs> she is my therapist a little bit. Um, I love it. And so currently I'm the therapy coordinator at Verity Psychiatry, which is a small private practice that primarily does addiction medicine work. Um, I'm the first person they've had over there to provide individual therapy. Um, so I see clients outside of the addiction realm as well. So I see people for a variety of issues ranging from anxiety, depression, substance use, grief, interpersonal issues, codependency. So I see adolescents, adults, so um, kind of yeah. a catch-all over there. But, um, yeah, so we're growing Great. that aspect. Well, I know, Alden, uh, while you were here as the uh, director of development, um, I spent a lot of time in your office um, not breaking down, <laughs> which is to say there were moments where I thought I was going to, you, you know, uh, violently – explode or or somehow melt down and I, I always found it uh, comfortable to go into your office and usually you had candy or cake so that helped um i'm, I'm easily bought with food uh, but you always brought a good perspective and a calming perspective to me so i'm, I'm again grateful that you are progressing in your career and, and helping more people um barbara yeah now you get to help um a constituency I, I think that uh, many of us in, our, in my field, or at least many of us in addiction might, um, the word I'm looking for is... Uh, have a difficult relationship with. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm grateful for that too, because I understand uh, we're, going to have a, we're going to have an attorney on the air um, on Friday. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that it's an important you know, part of that as well. So um, tell us a little bit about that work, because I'm, fa I'm fairly fascinated about that. Well, um, in 2016, um, Betty Ford and Hazleton um, and the ABA uh, did a collaborative study and it showed a pretty high significant percentage of attorneys were suffering with anxiety, depression, um, and, and had even suicidal thoughts. And that, um, that came out and, and I think it really shed a lot of light on the, the stress of the profession, mm -hmm. the stress of having to be the expert on everything, having to know everything, having to conduct yourself in a professional way. Um, you know, specifically women in the field can really struggle in a male dominated society yeah. and the legal profession. And there's some personality disorders that go along with that. So that can, that can in, in and of itself be a struggle, but there's always this ability to perform because every minute of your time is billed every minute, every phone call. And so there's some big firms that the way that they make their money is to, to have a lot of people obviously billing for their time. And so if you're dealing with anxiety, stress, depression, trauma, addiction, that impacts, as we all know, every facet of your life. So that impacts work. And, um, and so so there's, a, I think there's a stigma around, I think, getting some help and saying, I need some help. So we provide a way to, we're kind of a cross between an EAP and, and monitoring, if you will. Um, so we have people that come to us voluntarily, meaning they're saying, hey, I need help, uh, whatever that looks like. And there's some people that the bar sends and says, you have a disciplinary action against you and we are mandating that you do this. Now we're still a voluntary program, so they can say, no, thanks. I'm going to go my own way. Might not be able to practice law again, but 
um, we offer some structure around that. Um, we work with people who um, have addiction and process addictions, including, you know, financial sex addiction, gambling, things like that. So we really provide a lot of support for them. And it's not just they have to be under contract with us. It's anybody in the legal profession can call and ask a question or, or talk about whatever's going on with them. So um, a lot of people, I think, look at us as we are connected to the bar in that whatever is discussed with us goes to the bar. Mm -hmm. And that is not true at all. Um, once a referral is made to us, we don't ever discuss anything with anyone unless they sign a release to, to do so. Well, and, and so thank you for that clarification and that uh, explanation. I, I am empowered by your your honesty about sharing your own recovery. Mm -hmm. And I am grateful for that. And as a professional in the mental health field, um, how do you take care of your recovery? How do you take care of your mental health um, and balance? You know, it, you know, I'm a person in recovery, but I also work in the recovery field. And my recovery journey began at McShen, and now I work at McShen. So I've had to find a way to balance that. Well, the eighth tradition helps with that. Mm. Right. Well, so, so we, we do, we do respect all pathways of recovery right. here, but the eighth tradition, um, if you would explain. Well, basically what it talks about is, you know, when I'm at work, I am Barbara, who is, you know, a licensed professional counselor and I work at this place and I do this job and I just happen to be in recovery. When I go to a meeting, I'm Barbara, the alcoholic, and I just happen to have this job. So they don't cross over. And I've seen a lot of people in the field of addiction that stop going to meetings because, well, I work with other alcoholics and addicts in recovery, or I work at a treatment center, or I work for a psychiatrist, or I do whatever. And so they think that takes the place of going to a meeting. But when you're a therapist or someone who works at McShin or any kind of field work with anybody that has an addiction, a lot of times we, you know, we have transference and we have, we hear a story and we start relating to ourselves because we we remember when that happened. But the difference is, is you put that aside when you're at work and you look at, well, how can I help this person in front of me? And that doesn't mean I'm going to tell you what I did to get over A, B and C. It's what is going to be best for you. You have to meet the client where they are. Um, some people aren't ready to do trauma work, for example, because that happens a lot with people who have addiction. Um, and a lot of people get sober and they're like three months in, they're like, I'm ready to go and deal with the fact that, you know, my granddad molested me and I'm like, pump the brakes. Cause no, you're not, you know, yeah. your brain hasn't healed yet. Um, you know, you're in a pink cloud right now. Everything feels wonderful. You are not ready to rip this bandaid off. And that can be really detrimental to people. And that's why I think it's important that people that are in recovery go to therapists that understand that concept. I don't think they have to go to a therapist or a psychiatrist that's in recovery themselves, but they have to have someone who understands those nuances of recovery and how really fragile we are when we first get sober um, and clean. So hmm, I, I appreciate that perspective because I, I hear so much, so many trauma stories when, when participants come to me and you know, I'm, I'm a peer recovery coach and that's, that's like the, 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 maybe the first step at the first yeah. level yeah. of counseling. And, and I, I enjoy it, but I also recognize that there are limits to what I can say and what I can do simply because I don't have the experience. And so right. I, I, I hear people's trauma and I'm like, uh, <laughs> quite often. And I imagine that you get that a lot or that you got that a lot mm -hmm. too, as a, as a person who was here at McShin and is now in recovery, I'm sorry, who's now in counseling as well and doing counseling. How are you working with your clients um, especially right now, how are you working with clients when we can't meet face to face? 
Um, so switching to telehealth sessions instead of meeting face-to-face -face has definitely been an adjustment. Um, right now I'm seeing 100% of my clients virtually. Um, so all my clients I meet with are, we use Zoom right now. Um, next week I'm actually starting to see some in person again. So it's been a little difficult. It's been all right with clients who we have that established relationship and we've been working together and have gotten to know each other over several weeks or months or sessions. However, those have been spaced out. Um, but I have started some new clients only on telehealth sessions as well. And that's been not necessarily challenging, but definitely a change to build that therapeutic relationship with screens in front of us. Um, because like you said, when people are kind of disclosing these things about them, whether it's trauma or just kind of difficult emotions that are hard for them to talk about, let alone tell a stranger about that screen in between you two can be an added barrier. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I find, um, for me that, you know, I really have had a, a diff I've had difficulty embracing, um, Zoom meetings for my um, my my primary program of uh, mutual aid. So how are, how does that work for you um, as a person who's in a twelve step fellowship? How do you how have you worked your recovery here in the age of COVID? Well, I've been really grateful because I think um, you know I think one of the things that we saw the recovery community do is get together to start Zoom meetings. And I had a, a Zoom call with my sponsor this morning. Um, I go to her home group, um, you know, and I have my own home group that I go to and I attend other meetings as well. And, you know, I think just the fact that we can see people and hear people is what's really beneficial. Um, it makes me feel a lot more connected because recovery is is about connection um, because this disease is so isolating. So um, I think any way that we can connect, obviously, I would much rather be in person at a meeting, but I really will take whatever I can get. And I'm just grateful that this happened if it had to happen in this time frame, where you know social media is so acceptable, you know acceptable and easily able to access, um, and I've been doing it really FaceTime supervision with the mm. folks because I have four people that I supervise, and um, I mean it's different, um, but you know I can see them and we can talk, and that's why I said I haven't seen Alden in person since like the beginning of March, maybe mm -hmm. I think. Oh wow! Yeah, so it's been a long time since I've like physically seen her, and mm -hmm. you know. Um, but that's really what I've been doing. I talk to my sponsees on the phone and, you know. So you sponsor women. Yes. That's wonderful. I know as, as a, in my 12 step fellowship, it's very important yes. to do that. Um, I don't know if you have any spots available, but we do have a lot of women downstairs. <laughs> Sponsor probably... matchmaker over here. <laughs> well, you know, I've actually helped two people find sponsors, mm -hmm. you know, in the age of COVID. Mm -hmm. I think that's my new thing, the, the age of go, COVID. The age of COVID. It um, sounds very fancy. It does sound fancy, mm -hmm. you know, pinkies out kind of thing. That's right. Hello. <laughs> yes. yes. We're in the age of COVID, yes. Mm -hmm. In the age of enlightenment. <laughs> um, but... Uh, looking up here at the comments, a couple of them. Well, let's see. Honesty Liller. I wonder who that could be. <laughs> I love Alden. What is it? Did I say oh, Hey, Mary Page. Aldo is what it says. Aldo. Aldo. I'll start calling it. you that. Aldo. I like that. Aldo. <laughs> That's what Honesty calls me. Yeah. We miss you in the office. I know she didn't say that there, but we, or maybe she did. What did she say? Yes, Alden has helped the call to calm down so much. Yes. Yay. I, yeah. 
Um, it is. She's right. And uh, we do miss you downstairs a lot. Uh, Mary Page. Hey, Monkey. Um, how are you? And let's see, Marella Gregory. Is I'm that... pretty sure that is my mom's first ever Facebook comment. Way she to go, mom. How to do. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Something new for everybody today. I right? didn't tell anybody it was coming on. So, uh, <laughs> well, we used your face. Mary and found yeah, you. We, yeah, we, that's okay. We, we blasted out everything. You know, that's to terrifying. It, it, it's a little terrifying to me too. You know. <laughs> um, so personally. How have you been coping in your personal life? I understand that. Um, well, I, okay. I want full disclosure here. I've already told you that I'm friends. Um, when I was here as a participant at McShin, I did paint Alden's bedroom. So, so, nice. and it's a like a parent Got paint all over the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Spent hours scraping it off. <laughs> we did. I had fun with that kid. What was his name? Chris or Michael or Nick? Nick? Uh, I forget where he went to, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was a that was a good day, uh, good two days I think, but it was hot too. Yeah, so that no, was no I see yet. Two right. summers ago, must mm -hmm. have been yeah. So how are things going over there? Is the house finished? The house is very finished. Um, I'm actually moving out of there in a week and a half. What exciting! Um, so I'm also moving in the age of COVID, which has been interesting. Um, our new landlords told us that our painting we thought was going to be done or isn't going to be done until maybe June. So, what? but it's okay. So how am I handling myself during all the coronavirus stuff is very <laughs> attempting to be patient with myself. Um, so kind of accepting that some days are going to be better and easier than others. And sometimes we all, whether we work in this field or not, have emotions that come in that affect us. So we have days where we, don't feel like doing anything or we don't feel like um, there is anything to do right now, um, don't feel like being productive, then there are days where we're knocking stuff out and getting stuff done and using quarantine to the best of our advantage. Um, so kind of being patient with myself and understanding that emotions I have are going to come and go and all feelings are temporary and um, definitely maintaining that connection with people. Mm -hmm. So. I know Honesty commented on there that we have a FaceTime every week set up. Um, so she and I FaceTime every Thursday. So I have a couple, um, me and some of my high school friends face or Zoom every Monday night. So definitely keeping up connections with people, even though we may not be able to see each other in person, goes beyond just the recovery community. That goes, I think, for everybody because that personal connection is so important, not only for addiction recovery, but for just general well-being yeah yeah no I, I i get that and i'm so glad to see you and i i have the advantage of seeing your uh boyfriend every day uh, which is also very nice um and smell the amazing food that you guys cook i i had to, what was it the sriracha meat sriracha ball? chicken meatballs oh, that's lunch that today. sounds really good so i've been doing a lot of cooking during all of this um which I like to cook anyway. It's like a big stress relief for me. It's something I enjoy doing. I like, um, like hosting dinners and feeding other people. I think food and cooking is a lot more than just like what we eat. It's tradition and, you know, connection and family and friends and, um, being mindful of what we put into our bodies and how, what we eat affects how we feel mm -hmm. is a big thing. Um, so yeah, I do a lot of cooking. Sriracha chicken meatballs for lunch today. That's what you smelled. We had an alumni 
uh, an alumnus, alum, al- an alum. What's what's mm-hmm. what's the Latin? Alum. Yeah, we had an alum, a Michelle alum on uh, on yesterday with our new participants, and he was also talking about how he's been coping by baking and cooking. And then he and I shared some pictures yesterday because I got home yesterday and um, I had two seven pound meatloaves. So it was a two, 14 pounds Goodness. of meat. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, then there are eight guys in the that house. Like hours. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's. <laughs> and so, so I'm, I'm really grateful. I get to go home every day and there's almost every day there's a home cooked meal um, by our guys. And, you know, I do a lot of the shopping and we, but we all chip in. It's, it's mm-hmm. not, you know, one person, but, but there are two guys who end up doing most of the cooking. Um, Brian Merritt, by the way, who does mm-hmm. paint. Um, if you need somebody quicker, he's very Matt will good. Be painting Friday on his day <laughs> off because he's an angel. Oh, oh, that's good. Um, but yeah, so I, I get that the, the the comfort of sharing a meal together. I, you know, I'm very fortunate that in our house we, you know, I, I'm a house leader for one of our houses here, and in our home we we sit together as a, as a group almost every night mm-hmm. and almost all of us, it's, it's, they're usually six out of the eight of us are there, which is great. Cause there are only six table, chairs at the table, but we, <laughs> we sit, we eat and, you know, sit and watch TV or something afterwards, or, you know, we've taken to the zoom meetings or listening to, mm-hmm. um, um, uh, uh, speaker tapes, yeah. uh, you know, many different fellowships. Um, I like to meditate, um, you know, as a person who liked uppers, mm-hmm. <laughs> a meditation is extremely important for me because I'm just so all over the place. Mm-hmm. You should have seen me yesterday. I had two donuts right before this mm-hmm. and I was just <laughs> <laughs> now I have the weight of the meatloaf in me and I'm just kind of mm-hmm. like, <laughs> but so how, what are you doing personally? Do you cook? I do. I uh, have made dinners for my kids. My kids are 28 and 25 and they're both out of the house. How did you, how do you have a 28 year old when you're only yourself 30? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I was four when I birthed her. No. Um <clears throat> alcohol miracle baby. Alcohol pickled me. That's what I say. Um, but I've been baking for my kids. My daughter is a first responder. She's EMT with Richmond Ambulance. So mm-hmm. shout out to her and the wonderful Richmond Ambulance Authority. Um, but I she lives in Chesterville with her husband, and so I will take her meals um because she is very much like I don't want to get anywhere near you and I have my uniform on I will not come by the house to pick anything up um you know so I've been baking for her and her husband or I will buy them a meal somewhere at their favorite restaurant and they just go by and pick it up I've done that for both my kids and um I've baked their favorites before I've made cookies for them you know whatever they like I mean it's it's very therapeutic I think to be able to do that um I've I need to get outside every day Um, We had to cancel our wedding. Our wedding was supposed to be April the 18th. So we moved it to September. Your wedding. My wedding. I'm an old bee getting married. Yes. So my ex-husband and I, I gave that up due to my addiction. Um, And 20 years later, we're back together. Um, Yeah. So it's some crazy stuff. It's amazing. It is amazing. I told him something's really wrong with him because he picked me twice. (laughs) Because I don't, you know. Something's wrong with him, but he just laughs and shakes his head. Um, and he's an earth person. He's an earth person too. So that's a non-addict or alcoholic. So I'm very grateful. But do you share this with your therapist? I do. I absolutely do. And she's retiring, which I'm happy for her. But I, you know, I immediately went to, well, what about me? And I think I actually said that. I think I actually said that to her. And then I went, I'm really happy for y'all. But like, seriously, what are we going to do? Um, yeah. So. You know, I have a I have a, a very good friend 
who kind of went off the deep end when his therapist retired. So I, I, I see that. Well, I've been seeing yeah. her for probably about, God, I don't know how many years, but it's really maintenance. Like every month and a half or two months I'll go in. Yeah. Um, and when I was in graduate school, Alden and I graduated from the same program at VCU. And um, uh, one of my professors said, all the best therapists have therapists. Um, my mom's just really go, learning how to use mom. Facebook. Mom oh, is mom. Oh, uh, would you like to read that one, Alden? Um, so we touched on this a little bit, but she said, can you talk about the challenges of recovery in the age of COVID? And then she's talking about DJ who passed away a few weeks ago, um, who is a big part of this community for the past several years. Um, and she said, are there online meetings available for people who need to connect? Yes, there are online meetings that are available definitely and um so one of the things you know we've done here at mcshin as we've been transitioning to a digital you know a, a, a virtual <laughs> format is including our our usual in-person meetings that mcshin hosts like our family meetings uh on wednesday evenings also our um not a, a meeting that we host but a meeting we've we have here in the building uh, Grapple, which is the uh, Tracy Grow and, and grief. Mm -hmm. It's a grief support group that's been very important for a lot of people. I know that's been meeting virtually on Tuesdays and <clears throat> Fridays, I think. Um, but Tracy Grow, uh, you can you can find her. We can we can put that in the excuse me. We can find that information on McShin's website, McShin.org. Um, and also the family and uh, the family meeting. Uh, we'll put that up there at some point, too. Um, yeah, yeah, and I just wanted to clarify something real quick. Sure. So when you go to the family, it's the it's under the resources tab, and then you got to click on Zoom meetings. And when you click on Zoom meetings, you got to go down and it'll say click join via Zoom app or click join via web browser. You actually have to click on the word join because it's a little confusing. Uh, I tried. I looked at it last week because we had promoted it last Wednesday, and it was the same deal. People were like, "I can't join. I can't join." So they just need to go down and click the word "join" to the to the right of it. <laughs> I just wanted to help clarify so people knew what to do when they go to the resources tab to go find the family night Zoom meetings. So sorry, I just wanted to throw that in there. No, appreciate so, the feedback on that because I uh, I haven't actually experienced. Well, I haven't experienced that myself because uh, yeah, but. Um, so we have been embracing these new technologies, and I, I, I think that even as we develop these in the age of COVID to respond to COVID, what I believe that I'm personally starting to realize is how beneficial this can be for people who may have more anxiety, deeper anxiety issues. Um, I, I'm one of these extroverted people who's actually very, very deeply anxious. Um, and I, I think I overcompensate for my anxiety with being very you know, extroverted. Because um, really, frankly, I'd rather be home in bed watching cartoons, you know, and, and eating my cereal because I'm a five-year-old inside, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so that's what I love is that we're embracing this technology. And I think that we're going to we're going to continue with this even as we start to bring the meetings back. Mm -hmm. The groups here at the church uh, at, at Hatcher, you know, where we, we have Mishin, but also as the 12 step meetings start, you know, resuming their in-person meetings again. So with that, um, you're, you're seeing clients, mm -hmm. right? Um, to touch on that a little bit, I think that has been a benefit of meeting virtually with clients is people who may have been reluctant to go sit in front of a stranger mm -hmm. and begin working together may be more open to beginning 
that process while these virtual options are available um, because they're able to kind of be in their comfort zone at home, kind of have their animals there. Mm -hmm. If their kids are in the other room, you know, it's, it's less, less of a, an inconvenience to stop your day and head over the other side of town and meet with somebody um, when you can bring it right into your home and kind of do it on your own schedule. So I think as much as, there are maybe some differences with the online meetings or online therapy sessions, kind of everybody may be a little reluctant to switch over or utilize some of these tools. There can also be some benefits that people might not think mm -hmm. of right off the bat as well. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. So um, you're both obviously in the mental health field. It is mental health awareness month and could you possibly uh, touch on why, what the history of this or, or why we have this? And I mean, I can Google that real quick. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Well, let's talk about the need for mental health mm -hmm. awareness, you know, and, and the stigma, because, you know, many of us who are, in, you know, are, are people in recovery from a um, substance use disorder, you know, have the co-occurring issues. Mm -hmm. Um, and I believe substance use disorder is labeled a mental health issue. Mm -hmm. is that, yeah. yeah, so it's protected so, under the ADA. So right, exactly. Mm -hmm. So so we're we're really stigmatized um, yeah. doubly often. And so how do you work with your particip your clients, your whatever you call your your clients? Your clients. Yeah. Um, how do you work with them in, to to break down those barriers and break down the the stigma? For that, for personally, I think a lot of times people have a lot of bias that we don't talk about. Um, you know, if you grew up in a home that was, you know, very, I don't know, you know, very quiet and really didn't talk about problems that much. Um, you're typically not going to want to be really vulnerable and talk about mental health issues because people feel isolated with that. People feel quote weird. They feel like they're a freak. Why do, you know, nobody, nobody else thinks like me. And, and so, especially if your family, which is your first really, you know, kind of introduction into culture, into the world, when you start taking a look at how do I talk about how I feel, many people don't know how to like label their feelings like, a, and, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I just think it depends on the culture you grow up in. Like my children, for example, were raised by a therapist. So at 12 and 13 years old, my kids are talking to each other. My daughter says, looks at my son and says, I really think you're projecting and you need to be a little bit more honest. Um, and most kids don't talk that way. Most adults don't talk that way. My poor kids. Um, so that's a very different way to grow up where the way that I grew up is my dad was a raging alcoholic. His dad was an alcoholic. You don't talk, you don't trust, you don't feel. So it's very, very different. Um, I'm a very transparent person. Um, recovery gave me that gift to be able to do that. So I think uh, I think it, it helps to grow up in a household that's like that. But if you didn't have that, it's very hard culturally to take a look at that, regardless of the color of your skin or the, you know, my dad grew up in Churchill, didn't grow up on the right side of Churchill, so to speak. And the way that you're raised is you suck it up, you move on and you just tuck and roll and get through it. You don't talk about how you feel. And all of that is a great breeding ground for addiction. I mean, it's like throwing fertilizer and miracle grow on your life, you know, because you find something externally that makes you feel better internally, regardless whether it's sex, drugs, alcohol, shopping, shoplifting, whatever the case may be. And so then what do we want to do? We feel better. Well, I need to do that more, you know, and then you go down that trail usually. And there's, you know, there's some people that go down that trail and, and they don't end up becoming addicts. They're, you know, they're the, the, um, 
what would they call it in the big book? heavy drinkers or heavy users, you know, and then you have people that the way that they cope is they just return everything internally and they become very fixated on that. And it might become very paranoid because they don't have a way to talk about what's going on. So that's where the stigma is. And I think too, the media, the way the media can portray people who have mental illness, I think it's a little bit better now, but I can remember growing up that if you were quote crazy, if you went to a psych hospital, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're really not. Um, One of the clients I worked with where, I used to work with before she had bipolar disorder, so did her mother, so did her sister. And she and her sister were both addicts and they grew up that way. She had a very serious suicide attempt and came in and finally was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And the first thing she did was five minutes after she left the office, she called me and she said, did you hear the doctor tell me that I have bipolar disorder? And I said, I did. And she said, Barbara, I'm not crazy. And I said, no, you're not. So this woman grew up her entire life thinking that she was crazy, that something was wrong with her because the culture in her family is you don't talk to psychiatrists, you don't talk to anybody, you don't do any of that stuff, you know? So so she's in her 30s or 40s kind of realizing that, that this is there. So all of our, our personal bias comes into play when we think about mental health and what that looks like. Yeah, because of the way we maybe could be raised or maybe we had an experience with someone who maybe had Down syndrome or who had depression growing up. And so then you start looking at it, destigmatizes it because you have somebody you love that has it. And you see either what happens when you don't get help or what happens when you do get help. And then that shapes what you do for yourself. Yeah. Long um, answer. Lo- no, that's a great answer. We, we want the long answer. I want I, I want to know more myself. Um, Alden, as you've been working in this field, what drew you to the field of mental health? Um, What drew me to the field of mental health, I think, is definitely that same thing, is um, seeing people I love in my life either going down the path of getting help or not getting help and seeing how drastically getting that help, whatever it is, whether it's a recovery community, whether it's mental health medication and therapy, whether it's a 12-step group, whether it's medication-assisted treatment, whatever that help looks like for people, the difference when they do get that help, the trajectory their life can take compared to when they don't. Um, And then wanting to be part of that solution and that getting people that help. And I think what Barbara was talking about, about a lot of that stigma coming from internal bias, a lot of, I have a couple clients who um, kind of perceive this stigma around them for a variety of things, you know, related to substance use, mental health, or what they're wearing, you know, interpret this kind of stigma from other people. And we've spent some time talking about how is that really you know, do we have proof that this is what other people are thinking about you or is that maybe how you are viewing yourself? And then how do we, how do we work on that own self-relationship, self-acceptance, self-love rather than kind of projecting these assumptions onto other people? And I think that's a big barrier that a lot of people experience when they want to get help or think they need to get help is that if they reach out and get help, then it's opening the door for judgment or for being labeled or um, kind of being seen as different. And I think a big part of Mental Health Awareness Month is normalizing getting help, normalizing people who want to work on their relationship with themselves, their relationship with others, their own mental health, um, people who prioritize mental health the same way that physical health is prioritized in our culture. 
normalizing seeking therapy. You don't have to be at a breaking point, suicidal mm -hmm. to seek therapy. It can be wanting to better your life in any sort of way, wanting to work on setting boundaries with people, work <clears throat> on getting to know yourself better, work on um, how you relate to other people. It doesn't navigating transitions in your life. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be waiting until we're at this breaking point to reach out and ask for help. Navigating transitions. Mm -hmm. And those can be really difficult mm -hmm. for people too. So a lot of times you have people who are maybe older, like 30, 40, or even people who are looking at retirement. They really, you know, that generation really defined themselves as what they did for a living. And I think a lot of people do, you mm -hmm. know, a lot of people take pride in what they do, regardless of the job they have. And so if that changes, like if people lost their job because of, you know, COVID or some other reason, it's very hard for people to to make that transition. So transitions are very, very difficult for people to manage. And so if it's kind of normalized that I just need to talk about this mm -hmm. and, and really figure out how do I process through it? Um, that can, that can mean so much to somebody and it can be a brief therapy. It can be like three to six months. A lot of people think therapy is, well, I'm going to be in therapy for 15 years. And, you know, and that's not necessarily true. There's a difference in acute therapy mm -hmm. where you're looking at doing once or twice a week, if you need to, to where you transition to two or three times, a, uh, you know, a year or maybe three times, you know, every three months or something, because the better you get and the more successful you feel in the coping strategies that you learned, the less you need a therapist. And that's a good thing, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, and we're always here if, if you need us, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think there's that saying, like in every helping profession, that our goal is to work ourselves out of a job. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I would love to not have a job. Yeah. And I mean yeah. that sincerely, yeah. to not have to do what yeah. we do. Exactly. Um, which would be amazing to me. Um, you know, I work with a lot of uh, new persons to recovery. Um, is that what we're saying now, honesty? <laughs> uh, I work with a lot of new persons to recovery who come in and, and as a peer recovery coach and a house leader, you know, one of the things that, that I like to, to, to impress upon the guys is, you know, how much, you know, in, in a previous life, you know, my, my previous life, I defined myself and validated myself with, you know, where I worked, what neighborhood I lived mm -hmm. in, what I, not so much what I drove because I, I lived in the city, but, you know, what I was doing, you know, I, I, I'm a guy who likes to eat clearly and, and, and what restaurants I was eating at and these things, you know, and so, in recovery, you know, period, you know, transitioning to, uh, you know, acceptance of who I am, where I am, what I am, accepting that I don't need to define myself and other people aren't going to define me mm -hmm. by, you know, what shoes I'm wearing. Well, or all the external stuff. The external stuff, yeah. exactly. And getting in touch and loving the internal. Because mm -hmm. um, I think you said earlier about the, uh, you know, a thought, a feeling, and that's mm -hmm. just what it is. And, and so I've learned a lot from that. I, I practice a, uh, a, a Dharma recovery, which is a, a Buddhist based, mm -hmm. uh, recovery pathway. Um, and that's part of my practice. It, it dovetails very nicely with my 12 step. And that's really helped me to develop a sense <laughs> of, um, that's a thought. I don't have to act on it. Right. There it goes. Mm -hmm. And also, I don't need to, you know, I don't need to put weight on that 4k TV giant. I have a, one of our participants right now, he, he has his large TV he had in storage and he didn't want it to stay in storage. And he asked me if I would keep it in my room for him. And I said, yes, yes, of course <laughs> I will watch it for you. Well, well, and you know, make sure it doesn't get stale. Right. But, but now I have this 55 inch 4k weight, you know, I, I'm telling this and, 
I realize how much I love this thing. And and I keep telling him, like, you're not leaving. Right. You're not taking this with you when you leave. And I happen to love this participant. You, you well, I, it doesn't matter who, but um, but I realize I'm putting a lot of I'm attaching a lot of emotion to this thing. And so when I see stuff like that, when I feel that in my at least I can I see the red flags now. I don't always act on the red flags, you know, or it takes me sometimes a little while to do that. I'm still a pretty hot tempered, you know, materialistic guy sometimes. So having a program of recovery in place, having people around me who can, um, you know, I can who are going to co-sign my BS, mm-hmm. you know, and having people around me who are going to check up on me when I say, you know, and this actually you know, I, I have I have some process addictions as well. And one of those it started to rear its head recently. And I was able to talk to one of our housemates and I, who I trust, Ben, uh, who I trust and say, you know, this is a problem for me right now. And this right here, I need you to hold this for me. Mm-hmm. And well, actually, I called him and, or I texted him and I said, you know, I have to give you the blah, blah. And he said, what? And so when I got home, you know, we had our house meeting and afterwards he said, all right, give it up. And each, you know, he, he, and I was really grateful for that because if he hadn't asked me, I probably wouldn't have given it but to you're him. also inviting people to kind of call you out on your right. stuff. Um, Kevin McCauley, who was, uh, I don't know if people have heard of him. Um, um, he talks about addiction. He talks about memo to self and uh, pleasure unwoven. So if you Google that, make sure you put Kevin McCauley pleasure unwoven. Cause if you Google that, I don't know what you're going to get if you don't put his name in there in the search box. <laughs> but what he talks about is inviting people, inviting people in to, to be a participate in your recovery, whether it's a sponsor or a best friend, because, you know, we, we say we want to get, get confronted, but yet when we do, sometimes we get bristled, you know, like, why are you calling me out? Like, you're not even in recovery. Like, that's my addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, who the, are you talking about? Cause you like, <laughs> I, you know, I get into that, but when you invite people into your recovery, you're, it's like, you're building your, your neighborhood, you're building what you need. And, and for so long in active addiction, we push all that away and we like to isolate and check out. Um, and so watching TV or Netflix, that's not a horrible thing to do. It allows our brain to rest. It allows us to kind of breathe a sigh of relief. But if you're doing that nine hours a day, that's a problem. If you're doing it a couple hours a night, that's probably not a problem. You know, so you have to look at balance. And I think it's, it's hard. We don't do moderation real well. No, No. we do not do that real well. And so even, you know, I've been, you know, blessed truly uh, to be sober as the time that I have, but I've had practice and, and, not doing well with absorbing and spending a little bit too much time on social media or doing that shopping and doing that. And I was out actually yesterday in public and I was looking around and I was in target picking up a few things. And, you know, normally I would just gravitate towards one side of the store where all the shoes and all the stuff were. And I'm like, I don't even like, where am I going to go? Like, I don't even need that stuff anymore. What am I going to do with that? Where am I going to wear this? Where am I going to wear this? You know? So I think it's just a reset. This is like a great time to reset that and to Mm -hmm. take a look and, I think inviting people into our recovery from whatever that is, is going to be helpful for long-term, you know, mm-hmm. recovery from whatever the issue may be. I'm, I'm so glad you said reset. Um, I have a list on my wall in my office of, uh, I have a whiteboard like this one behind you. And I, I have a list of things that I do, you know, my job and other things as well. But I have this list of things. And what I've recognized in the age of COVID, um, where I can't go to these meetings and these outreach things, or now I'm Zooming a lot of these Uh things. But before, you know, it's kind of like, I've realized that I've put so much energy and effort into things that 
I don't care about yeah. and mm -hmm. really don't promote McShin in a way, you know, in my job in a way that's actually as beneficial as, as we like, you know, I, some things I can just show up, here's what we're doing and be done. Mm -hmm. But I put so much time and energy and thought and this and that and I have to please and I have to, and at the end of the day, I'm like, I, I don't have enough time for the things that are perhaps more beneficial for McShin, but also more beneficial to me and fulfilling to me. And people pleasing is really a lack of boundary setting. Yes. You know, if you're a PP, that is a lack of boundary setting, yeah. right? Because mm -hmm. you have to please everybody and you're ignoring what I need and you're teaching people how to treat you. You know, when we were in active addiction or suffering from mental health disorders, we teach people how to treat us. You know, and when you get into recovery, there has to be a reset on that, too, of, you know, we have a lot of tolerance for a lot of crap we don't need to have tolerance for, whether that's the way people treat us, talk about us, talk to us, whatever the case may be. So when we get sober or when we are in recovery, we're in a healthy place and our mental health symptoms are managed, whether that's through medication or, you know, um, healthy lifestyle, a combination of all those things, we teach people how to treat us and we set healthier boundaries. You know, um, one of my clients says, I'm not making any more pimento cheese. And that's kind of, you know, apparently people love his pimento cheese. So I kind of remind him <laughs> when he starts talking about stuff, I'm like, you're not making any more pimento cheese. And he's like, that's right. I'm not doing that anymore. You know, so that's a great reminder for people um, to, you know, don't make, en don't make enough pimento cheese for the world. Just make okay. it for yourself. I think um, all of this has been like a great reset. It's been kind of stripping our lives down to the bare basics and the bare necessities and what needs to be there. We're able to pick and choose a lot more carefully mm -hmm. who we who we engage with, who yeah. we choose to go out of our way to communicate with, um, what that communication looks like. It's way easier to hang up a phone call than it is to get up and walk away from somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and we're able to see like what our day looks like and what we're doing and how that affects us. So kind of taking a reset, even with your daily routine, like mm -hmm. when I wake up at 6.30 a.m., my day goes very differently than if I wake up at noon. Yeah. You know, having simple things in our daily routine, like getting outside every day or cooking a healthy meal mm -hmm. and eating that or journaling or doing a gratitude list or meditating, whatever we, this give, this time, the age of COVID gives us that time to kind of take a step back and be aware of how all of these little pieces affect us mm -hmm. as a whole and kind of redraw what our day-to-day -day life mm -hmm. looks like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that so much. And um, just to, 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 we, we we're close to landing this plane, as I, as I say, but just to touch on something you said, um, Barbara, you said a few minutes ago about, um, in recovery, we have to. Uh, I'm, I'm going to paraphr I'm going to paraphrase badly. Um, you're mentioning in recovery, people pleasers yeah. and setting boundaries. Mm -hmm. And essentially, do you, the the two of you here? Do you have? Um, I'm a people pleaser. You're a people pleaser. Um, do you have? And I was too. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm in recovery from that. Thank God. But, yeah. um, <laughs> well, maybe some quick pointers on um, how you know we can transition to recovery and you know, getting to, you know, I'm not making pimento cheese anymore. Right. You know? I think one of the ways is to ask yourself. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to no, steal I that No, I love now. that. Please steal. Um, yeah, I love that. One of the things that I think is I always ask clients, you know, when they, when they talk about, you know, well, this is so important. And it's like, well, how is that helping your recovery? Yeah. How is that helping your peace of mind? You know, because I have people that say, well, I have to call somebody. Well, why do you have to call them? Like, why do you have to do that? So I think we put a lot of, 
um, expectations on ourselves. Like they expect me to do this, therefore I have to, but yet nobody says, I want you to do this. So a lot of it is assumptions people make. Um, and, you know, the, the boundary setting has been, you know, no is a complete sentence. I do not have to give you an explanation of stuff. I do not. And, and I, I learned how to do that really well with clients, you know, because, mm. you know, I would have clients that would um, maybe they weren't coming to group as they should. And I would say to them, you know, if you miss another group, I'm going to have to discharge you because of this and this and this. And I have that dialogue. But by the time I get there, I've had multiple conversations with them about stuff. And then they show up and I'm like, why are you here? Like you missed two weeks. Why, why are you here? And they look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you can't do this. And so how that transitions into personal life is um, when my daughter was 18, she was in college and she had failed two of her classes. And she came to me and she said, mom, um, I failed two of my classes. And I said, what are you going to do about it? And I was not, I, she just looked at me like I was, she looked at me like I was nuts. She's like, well, what do you mean? I said, these are your classes. This is your money. What are you going to do about it? Like, I'm not calling your professor or emailing your professor saying, <laughs> why did my kid fail? You need to go fix this. You need to go talk to them. You haven't used these resources. So what are you going to do for that? And she just looked at me and I'm like, hey, this is your deal. Yeah. You have to be the one to do that. And so whenever someone I don't surround myself with people that have unrealistic expectations of me anymore. And that's one of the things I look at. Who do I allow access to me? And you can ask yourself that. Why am I allowing this? Brene Brown talks about, and if mm. you've never heard of her, she is like amazing. She's on YouTube. Um, she's absolutely amazing. But she says not everybody deserves access to you. Not everybody deserves to sit at your table. And so you, with that, I protect my peace. If I do not protect my peace, then my recovery starts to get jeopardized. And I gave that crap up a long time ago. I gave away too much of my peace when I was in active addiction because I thought I had to look a certain way and act a certain way. And I can remember when I was drinking, when I go out tonight, what do I want to present? Do I want to look like a slut? Do I want to look like a good girl? Do I want to, and I having this complete dialogue and I had the clothes in my closet to accompany whatever right. person I wanted to be. So I really didn't know who I was. So part of this journey is figuring out who do I want at my table? Who do I want to have access to me? And then you make those make the choices that support that because every day we work towards our recovery or we work towards our relapse. And mm -hmm. that's with addiction or mental health. It doesn't it doesn't matter. We have to look at that. And so that's one way to take a ask yourself that question of how is this person helping me to get to this goal? How are they helping to support my recovery? Because if people aren't supporting your recovery, why are they in your life? Yeah, like seriously, why are they in your life? I mean, it. It, just why? And and you have to answer that for you because they can come and talk to you about it. They can talk to Alden. They, people can talk to me. At the end of the day, it's between you and your higher power. And you've got to figure out why are these people in my life? Or why do I keep saying yes to things that I don't want to say yes to? Does it make me feel better? Does it make me look like I'm the bomb.com? Is that why I'm doing that crap? And if it is, that's an ego problem. Mm. That's, that's, mm. All, that's ego and pride. And they kill us. You know, so that's you have to ask yourself those hard questions and have your sponsor or a good friend check you on some of that stuff, too. Mm -hmm. Cricket, I don't know if you're listening right now, but this sounds very familiar, this conversation. <laughs> um, Alden, do you have any uh, thoughts? Um, well, with what you were saying about people pleasing, I think in a role as a therapist or as a mental health counselor or in recovery, working with other people, there's that 
urge and tendency to want to fix problems for people and want to make it better. And when someone's sitting in front of you, upset and crying and hurting, we want to say, it's all going to be okay. Let mm. me, let me fix it for you. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's definitely been a learning process of not doing that and learning to like sit back and sit with them in their discomfort and their, um, and they're upset rather than jumping to fixing that because I, you know, we can't fix it for anyone in whatever issue you're talking about. You know, we can't fix it for the other person. We can't do the work for the other person. We can't find the motivation for the other person. All we can do is help support them in their own efforts, help, um, Barbara during supervision, actually one time, um, I was really struggling with a client I had who, was super ambivalent about, you know, drinking, not drinking, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and like, I'm Technical sitting term. there, I'm sitting there at work Googling, like what to do with an ambivalent client. Like, cause I feel like I'm pulling out all the stops. I'm like doing all the stuff. With but him. when you start working harder than your client, right. That's mm. a sign. If you start right. working harder than somebody you're working with, that's a sign because what that really teaches them is they're not able to do that. Mm -hmm. So when you sit with that person that's struggling and you just sit there with them, there's depth and weight to that mm -hmm. that gives them confidence that they can get through it. And so the next time they come up against something, they're going to remember that they were able to get that through I can it. get through that. And you, there's not enough money to give somebody for that. You can't pay somebody enough for that. Yeah. And so we were talking about that one client and she talked about, you know, we think a lot of the times our role as helping professionals is to like make the path for somebody. And I forget what exactly you said, but you said something about like illuminating the path. Carl Rogers. Yeah. Yeah. Carl Rogers has a quote that all of our, all of your clients know where they need to go. It's our job to hold the lantern up to the path. Okay. That's well said. Yeah. He's the bomb. He's the bomb. Carl, Carl, what was Carl, Carl Rogers. Rogers. Carl Rogers. <laughs> Hero in therapy it. land. Hero in therapy yes. land. Yes. You know, as a, as a peer recovery coach, so much of, um, so much of my experience, um, and as a house leader has been just not, has been not reacting. Yes. And learning to not react because that, that desire to want to fix things for people. No, 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 you'll be fine. I got this, you know, and stepping back and what you just said, I've heard that before about, you know, what I'm really saying is you can't do this, you know, or I, you know, so I heard that oh, probably about a year ago. And I think it was uh, one of our board members who said it at a house meeting. And when I heard that it, it resonated with me, um, because my mom has, you know, recently uh, she she's involved with Al-Anon and she's she's stopped enabling and Good it's been for wonderful for her. Um, annoying as heck for me, <laughs> but um, we're learning, you know, a new relationship. But, but but to be able to do that myself and to watch people succeed and learn and grow is 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 really fulfilling mm -hmm. to me. Um, and just by sitting on my ass and saying, you know, absolutely nothing sometimes, which is absolutely wonderful. Or validate. Yeah. No, yeah, that really sucks. So or that what is are, really difficult. Or yeah. that is yeah. difficult, difficult. Or I'm, I feel I'm so sorry you're having to go through this. But what can we do? To, what can we do to help you? Yeah. 
So I really appreciate this conversation. And, and we're just about at the hour mark here. Um, let's look at the comments and make sure we haven't missed anything. Your that... mom knows Carl Rogers Alton. I'm impressed. My mom. So you Way said your go, children Martha. were raised by a therapist. My mom was an elementary school guidance counselor. So yes, Mrs. my Gregory. sister and I were on the back Yay. porch drawing mandalas for her to interpret about our emotions. Oh, nice. I didn't do that. Yes. I didn't do that. But I took my kids to A meetings Did because you? when I first got yeah. sober, they didn't have child care. Yeah. Yep, they didn't have that. Did you do? You, did you show the Rorschach test? I, I love Rorschach no, tests. No, <laughs> I'm not. That is out of my scope. I am. I know enough to be dangerous. I do not know enough to help anyone. <laughs> I, I, no, I don't fine do line there. Huh? I said a fine line there. Yeah, it's a it's a big fat line. No, I don't. No. <laughs> Sounds fun. Um, Debbie Rosenbaum, good to see you up there. She says, love this conversation Thank today. Thank you, Debbie. Um, Debbie's on our board. She's phenomenal. Um, Kim, um, Kim, hope you're doing well. I uh, hope you found some. I, that was Kim from last week. That Yeah, Kim, good to see you uh, watching and, or listening and watching today. Um, I think someone asked if the grief group is on the website. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, under resources, mcshin.org, under the resources tab. Yeah, it's wholly on the far right-hand corner. So that's, that would probably go under Moses' group that's tonight at, uh, what is that, 7? 7 o'clock. Yeah. So once again, final plug for this, go to resources, click on Zoom meetings, click on join via Zoom app or join via web browser. you got to click the word join. That way you know how to get in there. I, like I said, I saw it last week, and I just wanted to make sure. Because we had messages coming in. We're not able to get on. So mm -hmm. I just want to give it another plug. All right. <laughs> so, perfect. That way we, I don't get like a million messages tonight saying I can't access <laughs> it. So, so. And we do invite everyone to join the family conversation today. Um, if you or someone you're struggling with, um, uh, substance use disorder, if you know somebody or have somebody here struggling with substance use disorder, excuse me, um, please uh, feel free to participate. Uh, the grapple meetings are, I believe, also listed under the resources. Those are uh, grief support groups. They're not McShin groups, but they are um, hosted here at our facility. And, and we're, you know, we support the groups, you know, where, where we can. They're incredible resources for all of us. Um, I want to thank our two very, 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 and I, I can't say very enough, special <laughs> guests who have come um, in the age of COVID. I dun, was dun, glad dun. to get out. Um, <laughs> I said, you can meet virtually or you can come. She said, I'm coming. Yes. I'll be there. I'll yeah. Be there. We, we were surprised. We're grateful. And I am yeah. grateful to be here. Yeah. And and your shoes are lovely, by the way. Thank you. So They're thank very sparkly. <laughs> they are very sparkly. Mm -hmm. I like that. I noticed that uh, coming up the stairs. So. <laughs> Uh, but I did. <laughs> they did. They did. That's I right. almost tripped. It was yeah. I know. I, I thought. I thought perhaps you might. You know, do this. Do the uh, clicking tap of the heels. Yeah. <laughs> that's how no she's getting home. Like home. That's how I'm getting home. <laughs> <laughs> do that in the parking lot. Um, but thank you, Barbara, and thank you, Alden, for joining us. And again, if you are um, seeking, you know, seeking some things to do. Um, our resources page, mcshin.org, uh, the resources tab can give you some information about uh, what we do here at McShin. You can also, of course, follow us on our Facebook page. You can check out our live podcast every single day, Monday, sorry, Tuesday through Friday at 2 p.m., Get in the Herd. And then we have uh, on Tuesdays and Friday nights, we've got Get in the Herd after hours <laughs> i'm sorry i'm, I'm a goofball with that. that um <laughs> me out every time. after hours 
So, Todd, thank you for a great show. And <laughs> the breathing like that has to be a part of it. I it think. is, yeah. Absolutely. Sounds yeah. very stalker, serial killer esque. Well, Barbara. Yes. <laughs> yes. There you go. See, we all can get in on that, there you uh, go. Todd. Um, <laughs> I don't know where we are. Anyway, guys, thank you all for everybody watching and anybody listening on the podcast. What we do is we convert this to a podcast and it's made available on, I think, nine different platforms, including Google Podcast, um, Apple, uh, iTunes, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So these are available outside of the, the live feed here as well. So thank you all and look forward to having you tomorrow. Tomorrow is Thursday. We're going to have, <clears throat> excuse me, I can't talk today. Thursday, we have for you um, an extra special guest as well. We have Sheriff of uh, Henrico County. Um, all, um, <laughs> I was going to say Alden Gregory. Alden is our new sheriff. <laughs> I like it. Thank you. Sheriff Alisa Gregory. Um, new relation to Alden over here. Um, <laughs> and on Friday, we have uh, Richmond City Commonwealth Attorney Colette McEachin in the house. And she'll, well, no, not in the house. She'll be on, on the uh um, on the feed, but she'll be coming and talking to us about criminal justice and the 17% reduction of uh, in incarcerated individuals. So with that, let's land this plane and say goodbye and good night. And thank you all for joining us. Take care, guys. See you tomorrow.